0: This is Pastor Ryan Clark from St. John's Lutheran Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. You are listening to the audio of the current sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come. Thanks for joining us. A few years ago, a certain relative of mine who shall remain anonymous got up early one morning and started getting ready for work. She did all the things she would usually need to do to get ready for her typical workday. She put on the coffee. She got all cleaned up, all gussied up, looking so pretty. She scrubbed her teeth, etc., etc., etc. And when she was finally ready to go to work, she came back into our room, where she was groggily greeted by me saying this. What in the world are you doing right now? Well, confused, my poor anonymous relative responded by saying, What do you mean, what am I doing right now? Can't you see? Isn't it obvious? I'm getting ready to go to work. To which I responded, well, that's nice. I'm glad you're excited to go to work, but correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it only 3 a.m. right now? And aren't you usually due at work around 8 a.m.? It seems like you're getting ready just a little bit early here. And once again, I'm not trying to step out of line here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't today Saturday? And don't you usually just work on Monday through Friday weekdays? And so I'll ask you again, what in the world are you doing right now? Well, what had happened to my poor anonymous relative there? She was just operating on autopilot. She was just going through the motions. She had woken up and in her groggy state, hadn't even thought about the fact that not only wasn't it time to go to work, it wasn't even a work day at all. She was just doing the things that she would usually do when she woke up. Who here has ever done something like that before? Maybe for you, you didn't go to work on a day or try to go to work on a day that wasn't even a work day. But I'm sure we are all guilty at some point each and every day of operating on autopilot or just going through the motion. Maybe you're guilty of doing it while driving your car. I'm guilty of this sometimes. In fact, when we first moved from our old house in Buffalo to our new house in Buffalo, I drove directly to our old house after work no less than five times. I even parked in our old driveway a couple of times. Just wasn't even thinking, just going through the motions, doing the things that I was used to doing, even though we no longer own that house or that driveway. Maybe you operate on autopilot sometimes at work, not thinking about the work you're doing at all. Maybe you're just going through the motions every once in a while in your relationships, not even thinking about that other person at all. And maybe, just maybe, and this is, of course, the tie-in right here. Maybe you're going through the motions when you're here at church worshiping God. Maybe when you're singing the hymn, singing those beautiful words, you're not even thinking about the words that you're singing. Maybe when you're saying the confession and hearing the absolution, you're not thinking about what you're confessing at all or to whom you are confessing those things. Maybe when you say the prayers, maybe when you say things like the Lord's Prayer, you're not thinking about what you're praying at all. As you say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. When you pray something like thy kingdom come, you are acknowledging some pretty incredible things about Jesus and you are asking him for some pretty incredible things as well. And it's those incredible things that I want to talk about as we continue our sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come. We started this sermon series just last week. And what we're doing is taking a look at what it looks like for us to live under the kingship of Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you truly acknowledge and mean all that you are saying when you pray, Thy Kingdom Come, it changes everything for how you operate as a subject in Jesus' kingdom. And so today's message is going to be pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I'm just going to do my best to answer this question What am I truly saying when I pray, thy kingdom come? And to discover that, we're going to go to where those words were originally uttered in the Lord's Prayer by Jesus himself. He says, This then is how you should pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many times? Have you said those words over the course of your life? And how many times have you thought about what you are truly saying and praying when you say those things? It's actually a pretty substantial list. We're going to put together a huge list here this morning. And the way I'm going to work through the material is I'm going to start off with what I think are the most easy and obvious things that we say when we pray, Thy kingdom come. And we're going to work our way to the slightly more complicated. So first, and very obviously, when we say thy kingdom come, we are saying that there is a king, right? That is the root word in kingdom after all, king. And so the question that must be asked then is, who is that king? Another easy question, right? How does the Lord's prayer end for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever? What did we say when we say the Nicene Creed this morning, whose kingdom will have no end? Who will rule and reign forever? The answer to that is, of course, Jesus. Jesus is this king. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are saying there is a king, and that king is Jesus. And he was a long promised king who would reign forever and ever in the Old Testament. In fact, in 1 Chronicles 17, God says to King David, When your days are over, And you go to be with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring, succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Verse after verse points to that in the New Testament. In fact, we don't even have to wait more than one verse into the New Testament to see this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. In the very first verse of the entire New Testament, Matthew 1.1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. In other words, you remember that promise that God made to David in 1 Chronicles 17? Here he is. Here is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus Christ, he is the king who will reign forever and ever. When we pray thy kingdom come, we are saying there is a king and that king is Jesus. To add to that, And this one is still pretty obvious in my opinion here. We are also saying there's a kingdom. Now, according to the dictionary, a kingdom is simply this, a place or territory where a king rules. And so if we continue to flesh this out, what we are saying when we pray thy kingdom come is there is a king. That king is Jesus. And that there is a kingdom, a place where King Jesus rules and reigns. And so now the question that must be asked is this, Where does Jesus rule and reign? How would you answer that? I think this is where things get just slightly more complicated because I think most people would answer it by saying this. Everywhere. Isn't it obvious, Pastor? Everywhere. All things were made through him. He is in charge of everything. He always has been and he always will be. If that's your answer to that question, I would actually say not so fast, my friends. Because if Jesus was always in charge in every respect, every single place, what would have been the point of this? What would have been the point of the cross? But the cross points to something as far as I'm concerned. It points to the fact that there was at least one place where in a certain respect, Jesus didn't rule and reign, and that was in you. Our sins separated us from God we were conquered by sin and conquered by Satan when we sinned. And so, in a certain sense, we were no longer a part of God's kingdom. At least that's what I'm reading in 1 John 3.8. It says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. In other words, the one who is defined by their sin belongs to Satan because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But But the very reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And that is exactly what Jesus does on the cross with his perfect life and perfect death. He destroys sin. He conquers death with his resurrection and he conquers Satan. And through all of this process, it's all been about redeeming you, buying you back and bring you back in to his kingdom. And that's what it says he accomplished in Colossians 1. It says that Jesus rescued you from the dominion of darkness, the place where Satan ruled and reigned and brought you into the kingdom, into his kingdom. You now belong to him. You were bought at a price. And that same thought is reiterated in Revelation 5. It says, and with your blood, Jesus, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom. In other words, You weren't a kingdom before, but you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. When you pray, thy kingdom come, you are saying, there is a king. That king is Jesus. There is a kingdom, a place where King Jesus rules and reigns. And oh, guess what? That place includes me. I belong to him. I am a subject in his kingdom. He purchased me. So we're already starting to put together a pretty nice list here from those three little words, thy kingdom come. You're praying all of those things and we can keep on going because there is so much more to it than just these things. In fact, when you pray thy kingdom come, you're also saying this, that you know Jesus can rule despite you or through you and you want him to rule through you. That's a pretty big thing to say and pray there. And you don't have to take my word for this one. Actually, the small catechism is pretty point blank about this exact thought. Maybe you remember working your way through Luther's small catechism in confirmation class. Some of you are going to get the opportunity to go through this very section in about two weeks or so. So maybe you should be paying attention here. The small catechism has quite a bit to say about what the Lord's Prayer means. And it has this to say about that simple phrase, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. That is a perhaps teensy bit complicated way of saying our very important point of the day. Jesus is your king, whether you acknowledge him to be your king or not. But knowing Jesus is your king is the difference between him ruling despite you or through you. This is a huge thought right here. And I was trying to think of a clever analogy to explain this this week, but all I could come up with was something from politics, so hopefully no one gets too bent out of shape here. It's a pretty simple thought, though. Over my 20 or so years that I've paid even a modicum of attention to politics, I've heard people say something like this. Not my president. They'll often say it, and this is people from all over the political spectrum. They'll often say it when the person who is president is someone whose views they disagree with. They'll say he might be your president, but oh he's not my president. Really? Is that the way that it works? Just because you say he's not my president, suddenly he's no longer your president? Of course that's not the way it works. And with significantly, exponentially bigger ramifications, there are people that will do the same thing with Jesus. They'll say, Jesus, he's not my king. He might be your king. You might believe in him, and that's good for you. I'm so happy for you. But he's not my king. Really? Is that the way that it works? Not at all. He is their king, whether they want to acknowledge him as their king or not. But when we pray thy kingdom come, we are saying, Jesus, you are my king and you can rule despite me or through me. But Lord, I want you to rule through me. I want you to do your work through me. And when you pray that, you are putting yourself very directly in position to do God's work because you're also asking for the help that you need to accomplish it. And in fact, when you pray thy kingdom come, that's exactly what you're doing you're asking that Jesus empowers you by his Holy Spirit to be a worker that brings the kingdom. And once again, you don't have to take my word for this one. The small catechism talks pretty point blank about it. It says, when we pray thy kingdom come, we are asking that God would give us his spirit so that we may believe his word and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. In other words, when you pray thy kingdom come, you are essentially saying this, You're saying, Jesus, I know what you said in Matthew 9. You said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Well, Lord, I want to be a part of those workers. I want you to empower me to help you collect that harvest. So, Lord, give me more and more of your Holy Spirit so that I can bring the kingdom. That is quite the thing to pray, isn't it? And when you pray thy kingdom come, that's exactly what you're saying. And the list actually could go on and on and on. What I have up here right now, it's not exhaustive at all. Understand that in addition to praying all the things that we've talked about already this morning, when you pray thy kingdom come, you're also asking that Jesus would return soon so that everyone would fully realize his kingdom rule. Get this, you're even praying that there would be an end to death and an end to sin. What incredible things to pray. But for the last minute or so of this sermon, I want to get us back to the original point that I was at least attempting to make this morning. So many of us are guilty of doing just this. Just going through the motions. When we're here at church, we forget who we're praising. We forget who we're talking to. We're not even looking at the words that we're saying. And I hope that we can stop doing that, at least in part, as a response to this message today. But in particular, when we pray those words, thy kingdom come. Because when we truly acknowledge and mean all that we are saying and praying, when we say those words, thy kingdom come, as I said, it changes everything for how we operate as a subject in Jesus' kingdom. When we understand all that we are saying and mean it, what we are doing is saying, Jesus. You are my king. I am your subject. And the reason that is because you bought me at a price. You love me so much that you died on the cross to make me a part of your kingdom. Now, Lord, let me respond to that incredible love that you have for me by doing your work. Empower me, Lord, to bring the kingdom to others. Work through me, Lord, so each and every person that I meet, I can tell that they have a king. And that king is you, Jesus. Thy kingdom come. What a thing to say. What a thing to pray. And my prayer for you this week is simply this. May you not be going through the motions when you say it. May you truly acknowledge and mean everything you say when you pray thy kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. John's Lutheran Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. If you would like more information about St. John's and any of our ministries to our community and beyond, you can go to our website, www.stjohnsbuffalo.org. Thank you, and God bless you.